0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, unwanted pets and relatives, greetings. It is I, Mr. Palumbo, and welcome to the Professor Liberty podcast. Here at Professor Liberty, we accept different points of view. We're not Republican. We're not Democrat. We are more interested in, you know, things like the Constitution and freedom. Freedom. It's in short supply these days, it seems, It almost feels like we're witnessing the end of an era. You know, America today is a lot different than it was even just a few decades ago. I believe there's two types of people. There are those who yearn for security and safety. These people don't mind having less freedom as long as they're comfortable and someone else makes the hard decisions. There's another group of folks who would rather take the risks and the dangers that come with freedom. And perhaps the first group has grown too large. And maybe the nanny state is inevitable. But here at Professor Liberty, we are going to share about liberty and we're going to keep denouncing socialism until the secret police come and take us away. (laughs) Man, that was kind of dark. Sorry, folks. I'll try to lighten the mood a bit, but with the topic today being weapons of mass destruction, I'm not sure we can put a pretty bow on that. I don't want parents asking their kids, gee, Johnny, why do you look so down? Johnny says, I was listening to the Professor Liberty podcast, and now I'm depressed. No, 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 say it ain't so. This is a fun podcast. Johnny, if you're out there, if you're real, take heart. Even if it's looking lost out there, maybe it's you, Johnny. You can fix it. We need more Johnnies out there, folks. We need more Johnnies and less Carl's, as in Karl Marx. Just to remind everybody, if you'd like to email the show, the email is ProfessorLiberty1776 at gmail.com. Free stickers are available. If you want to give me a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts and a written review, you can get your very own free Professor Liberty sticker. All right, so today I want to discuss something significant that happened this past week uh, and into this week. And that is the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which happened on August 6th and August 9th, respectively, in 1945 by American forces, which caused the death of at least 120,000 people combined and subsequently ended World War II. Now, the bombing, the Allied bombing of these two Japanese cities has joined other historical events, where it seems popular or almost expected to denounce the Americans as the bullies or somehow the villains because of this action. And some of you might have heard some of this in school or at the workplace. Uh, This is similar to the narrative America stole land from Mexico or the Civil War wasn't really about slaves or slavery or the United States stole Hawaii. Well... That one's probably accurate. But anyway, we live in this time where it's popular to look back on historical events and place judgment on people using our new enlightened sense of morality. And dropping the atomic bomb on Japan certainly is part of this fad. Now, having said that, the United States is the only country in history which has used nuclear weapons on another country which, if we're honest, isn't the kind of distinction anyone would want. So maybe some criticism is expected, and maybe some questioning and some analyzing should be moving forward, but I'd like to lay out some arguments which might at least put some of these petty criticisms to bed. First, let's look at Japan in 1945. We can't forget that this was not the clean and friendly electronics wonderland that it is today. No, Japan in the 30s and the 40s was a fanatically militaristic dictatorship obsessed with expanding its geographic empire. Japan was a brutal enemy who treated conquered foes with little remorse. They invaded places like China, killed and tortured and raped and stole any resource they wished. In fact, because Japan was so brutal, there's still to this day an undercurrent of animosity among Chinese and Japanese peoples. Regarding prisoners of war, uh, FactsandDetails.com writes, "The Japanese captured approximately 350,000 prisoners of war. More than half of those were natives, so people uh, of who you know their land they conquered. That's what they mean by native." For propaganda purposes, most of the native prisoners were released, while 140,000 white prisoners, mainly from Britain, Australia, the United States, New Zealand, the Netherlands, and Canada, were kept. The death rate among Japanese POWs was 27%, compared to 4% for Allied prisoners held in German and an Italian camp. This is contrasted by only 1% of Allied forces dying in Nazi camps. Now, where they get the 27% number, and I want to include this information, something I actually learned researching this, uh, about one-third of that uh, percentage, where they get the 27, it was really 40%. But they say one-third of that number of deaths were from friendly fire, which means these Allied prisoners were in places where Allied forces were bombing the area, and some of those bombs hit their fellow uh, soldier, and even some died at the dropping of these atomic bombs, which is what we're discussing on the show, all right? But think about that. Prisoners dying in Japanese custody is 27%, which is a lot higher than the Nazis, you know who were supposed to be the epitome of evil in the modern world, 1% of those prisoners died. So we can see, ladies and gentlemen, Japan was extremely aggressive in almost every way. The United States entered the war because of a highly effective sneak attack on Pearl Harbor by Japanese naval forces. Now, we know it wasn't necessarily effective in keeping the American fleet out of the war. It did cripple the Navy for a time. And it was effective uh, for psychological reasons, but it was a sneak attack, nonetheless, where 3,000 Americans died. Japan was even brutal to its own soldiers. In an article entitled Japan, No Surrender in World War II, David Powers writes, quote, apart from the dangers of battle, life in the Japanese army was brutal. Letters and diaries written by student conscripts before they were killed in action speak of harsh beatings and of soldiers being kicked senseless senseless for the most trivial of matters, such as serving their superiors rice too slowly or using a vest as a towel, unquote. The main underpinning for why Japan was such an aggressive and formidable foe was this idea of bashuto, Bashuto, or the Bashuto Code, and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, was a body of ethics developed by the Japanese samurai. Some of these codes were good, things like courage, politeness, loyalty. But somewhere in there, the idea of losing or surrendering became an unforgivable sin. In the Army Field Manual, drafted in 1941, Japan's military leader, General Tojo, was quoted as saying this quote, "Do not live in the shame as a prisoner, die, and leave no humiliating crime behind you." Unquote. So let's put this all together. Imagine you're dealing with a highly aggressive take no prisoners population that has been brainwashed to think surrender is not an option. How would you have forced these people to quit? And to those who would say, well, you could have just prolonged the war. You don't have to drop the bomb on them. You could have just prolonged the war a little bit, keep the conventional bombing going until Japan gives up. That's actually what General MacArthur wanted to do. But let me ask you a question. Isn't knowingly prolonging a war just as wrong as if you stopped the war as soon as possible? If you had the means to stop the war as soon as possible, why would you not take it? What is more desirable, killing 120,000 people in two days or a million in another 12 months? Can you put a right or wrong on quantity of deaths? And this is what most uh, advisors told President Truman, uh, that if we invade the island of Japan, there will be at least a million casualties. Okay, so I think I presented a clear picture here. And maybe you can better understand the mentality now regarding using the atomic bomb. But before we discuss the actual dropping of the bomb, I want to point out how the Americans went about choosing the targets and how they tried to communicate with a belligerent Japan warning them of their impending doom if they do not surrender. There was a great debate regarding how to use the first nuclear weapons. Should they choose a city, an army base, somewhere in the boonies, To show what the weapon can do without killing anyone? According to NPR.org, in the spring of 1945, the military convened a target committee, a mix of officers and scientists, to decide where the bomb should fall. The initial list of targets had Tokyo Bay and Hiroshima, as well as others. Tokyo being the capital, and since it was currently being bombed, many military leaders said it wasn't worth it. The United States wanted to display the full destructive power of the A-bomb so that the Japanese would realize that resistance is futile. This is most likely why Hiroshima was selected because up until this point it had not been bombed, it had not been damaged by conventional bombing, and this would provide kind of a theatrical sense. This would show a contrast of before and after the destructive nature of this weapon. NPR.org puts it this way, quote, The target committee decided this bomb would not just kill, it would do something biblical. One bomb from one plane would wipe off a city from the map. It would be horrible. But they wanted it to be horrible to end the war and to try to stop the future use of nuclear weapons. They chose Hiroshima, Now, unlike the Japanese who bombed Pearl Harbor via a surprise attack, the Allied powers led by the United States did not return in kind. The Allied Powers sent Japan the Postum Declaration, which was a list of terms for unconditional surrender. And it read in part, quote, We call upon the government of Japan to proclaim now the unconditional surrender of all Japanese armed forces and to provide proper and adequate assurances of their good faith in such action. The alternative for Japan is prompt and utter Destruction, unquote. Well, Japan, still intoxicated with Bashuto, refused. And on August 6th, a 9,000-pound bomb, nicknamed Little Boy, was dropped over Hiroshima at 8.15 in the morning. It exploded with the force equivalent to 15,000 tons of TNT, and it destroyed five square miles of the city. It indeed was destruction of biblical proportions. Japan was still silent, no response. So three days later, on August ninth, another bomb, this one bigger and more powerful, named Fat Boy, was dropped on Nagasaki. According to History.com, quote, at noon on August 15, 1945, Japanese time, Emperor Hiroshito announced his country's surrender in a radio podcast. News quickly spread, and Victory in Japan Day, or VJ Day, celebrations broke out across the United States and other allied nations. The formal agreement was signed on September 2nd aboard the USS Battleship Missouri, anchored in Tokyo Bay. Unquote. So, what can we learn from this, boys and girls? Well, let's talk about war. War is hell. War is the scourge of mankind. And yet since World War II, the United States has fought other wars. But can we say we've won other wars since then? Korea was a tie. Vietnam was a loss. I guess we can claim Desert Storm as a victory. But part part two of that campaign, Iraqi freedom, do we even know what happened with Iraq? Was there a victory parade? Are they better off than they were? What's the success? Afghanistan looks like it's going to go down as a loss or at least a 20-year waste of blood and treasure. I say all this to say this. We should avoid war at all costs. We should look to diplomacy and we should exhaust other avenues. And even then, there needs to be a direct threat posed by the so-called belligerent before we declare war. And yes, we actually should follow the Constitution and declare war and stop with these unilateral actions from presidents or these, uh, uh, what do they call them? The The authorization of force acts. That's all unconstitutional. The founders put the declaration in Congress's hands because there's supposed to be a debate And Congress represents the people. And ultimately, it's going to be the people that go off and die for these objectives. So what are the objectives? No, if we go to war, we go to win. It's like Cobra Kai, ladies and gentlemen, in, in Karate Kid. What was Cobra Kai's motto? Strike first, strike hard, no mercy, sir. There should be no such thing as a compassionate war. The aim of any war is to destroy your enemy's will to carry on the fight. If Iraqi freedom and Afghanistan has shown us anything, it's that going to war with some half-baked higher sensibilities only gets more people killed. It reminds me of that scene in Lone Survivor, the movie Lone Survivor, when the villagers stumble upon the, seal, uh, the seals and the squad ties them up and they have a 20-minute debate over what to do with them. They're unarmed civilians. You can't shoot them, right? The, mem- the SEAL team argue that if they were to kill these people, the press would, would be all over them. And all of this bad news would come onto their compatriots. Now, mind you, the villagers aren't thinking this. The villagers are thinking two things. They're thinking, one, I hope they don't kill me. And two, if they let me go, I'm going to go tell my Taliban buddies and we're going to come back and kill these guys. And if you've seen the movie or read the book, I actually don't like this movie. My wife likes this movie. I hate this movie because they let those people go, those unarmed civilians go. They run down the hill, they go tell their terrorist buddies. And then this whole swarm of terrorists come up the hill, and all those SEALs die but one guy. That's not how you fight a war, folks. We need to go to war to win. And if we're not interested in winning, then we do not commit our troops to war. The United States was committed to winning in World War II, and they crushed the enemy. And that's not the end of the story, though. After Japan surrendered in September of 1945, the Allied forces, again led by the United States, set out to rebuild Japan. And the U.S. rebuilt and reformed Japan's economy and government, and today Japan stands as one of America's closest allies. AsianLinkBusiness.com writes it this way, quote, Japan is one of the largest and most developed economies in the world. It has a well-educated, industrious workforce and its large, affluent population, makes it one of the world's biggest consumer markets. Japan economy is the second largest behind the U.S., or it was from 1968 to 2010 when it was overtaken by China. Its gross domestic product in 2016 was estimated to be $4.7 And its population of 126 million enjoy a high standard of living, with a per capita GBP of just below $40,000 in 2015, unquote. So that's the second thing we can learn, boys and girls, about this story. Is America this great bully as she is portrayed to be today? I wonder if the belligerent Japan would have warned us beforehand when they had possession of an A-bomb. We'll never know. But with the surprise attack at Pearl Harbor in the background, it makes you wonder. And after using the bomb, did the United States uh, possess Japan? Did it? Did it? Did we take over Japan the way Japan took over the Philippines and took over parts of China and took over areas in the Pacific? No. After the war, the United States sent out to set out to rebuild Japan, and now she stands as among the economic greats in the Far East. So don't get caught up in the revisionist history, guys. Don't get caught up in the America bashing. Don't get caught up in the, actually, Mr. Palumbo. Don't get up in any of that. Do some research, okay? Do some research and you'll see that the United States is different. And it has been different countless occasions across history. Yes, we've done wrong things. Yes, we've made mistakes. Yes, there's racism. Yes, there's, yes. But there's also good things. And there's also things that have made this country different countless times. I'll leave you with this question. What if the atomic bomb was in the hands of a different country in 1945? How might world history look different, be different, if someone else had the bomb? Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and give me a five-star rating. If you'd like to email the show, the email is Professor Liberty 1776 at gmail.com. Please check me out on TeachersPayTeachers.com if you're looking for lessons and activities designed by me for your homeschooling needs or if you're a teacher looking for some social studies material, please check out TeachersPayTeachers.com. Until next time, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty.